Ladies and gents, welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 153 of the Get Around. I'm James Cook, filling in for Jake's at Nippinger in the uh, host chair this week. We've got a great episode for you, including an interview with Gaylord skier winner Vanecki, who is just representing Team USA in the FIS Freestyle World Cup in Finland. Joining me virtually via the magic of FaceTime is Jake, as well as our uh, fellow compatriot here in the sports department, Andrew Rosenthal. Hello. Yeah, I'm the I'm the I'm the virtual one today. I'm the one who's not locked in the office by myself for you per, per usual. You're you're reporting from Detroit, I hear, right? Yes, I am. I am in the three one three where all my phone calls get ignored because I use three one three phone numbers to call everybody in Traverse City. <laughs> I, I see. We we've done a podcast where we've interviewed people in two different states. Can you cross the border to Toledo so we can do three? Because nah, we interviewed far. Winter in and Utah. Ohio, Ohio stinks. Ohio stinks. Nobody wants to go to Ohio. That's true. I mean, because when we ask the question of what state would you most get rid of, everybody always answers Ohio. Yeah. So why would we? I, I mean, maybe, maybe I'll go down to like Indy. I like Indianapolis. I have a lot of fond memories from Indianapolis with the Big Ten championships and Final Fours and all that good stuff. So maybe I'll go down to Indianapolis for the next one. Well, while you're down in Detroit, you could, uh, you know, just stop by Allen Park and see if you could interview Chris Spielman. Yeah, we got a new guy for the Lions. Let's actually hope that he can do something, like make a good Somewhat. choice for our GM. Somewhat. You know, yeah, the Lions, it's still the Lions. I mean, if there's a way to mess it up, they'll mess it up, whether Chris Spielman tells them to mess it up or not. They're probably going to mess it up. <laughs> That's a given with the infamous Detroit Lions. So, in our episode today, we got... An update on MHSA's rep council. They postponed their meeting, um, so we are going to talk about what that means for the future of high school sports, kind of where we are in that right now. We got some all-state reveals going on. Um, the MIVCA, Michigan Interscholastic Volleyball Coaches Association, revealed their all-state team, and we got some local players on that. Obviously, you're, you're we be very intentional in saying that. What? You were like trying to sound that out as you were saying it. I, I, what, what MIVCA stood for. Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't, I don't even know. I'm guessing that's what MIVCA stands for. I didn't yes. actually Google it. Yep. Well, Michigan I guess Intergalactic Volleyball Coaches Association. That's an acronym. Well, I learned that. Anyways, then we get into our interview with Winter Vanecki from the U.S. Ski and Snowboard team. She's also kind of like a major athlete and a world record holder at 13 years old. Um, but not Guinness. But not as Guinness. Will, as you will find out. As we'll find out. Uh, really fascinating interview with Winter from Gaylord. And then we're going to close the episode out with a update on our Christmas movie bracket. If you look on Twitter, you'll see the results that we're kind of irritated about. Well, I'm not irritated at all. <laughs> and maybe uh, we'll also up to you fill you in on our fantasy football leagues. Jake and James each have a shot at the title in each of their leagues. I don't pay as much attention to it, and I'm not as good. But we'll see how likely they are to win it. But, guys, first, can we first talk about MHSAA's rep council has postponed their meeting, and we don't know when they're going to be meeting next. I don't think it'll be too long before they meet. We know that the the newest or the latest you know extension of this shutdown goes through December 20th. You know, I've talked to a lot of coaches and stuff, and, Everybody's still optimistic that they're hopefully going to be able to start practice on the 21st, sneak a couple things in and have that like January 4th restart date. But I think with the lack of the information that came from the state uh, in the last few days, kind of like what happened leading up to the last extension, the MHSAA kind of looked at, looked at themselves and were like, why would we make a concrete decision right now when I, I feel like they kind of feel like this isn't going to go their way next week. So when I'm hearing from coaches, they're saying, and coaches and players are like, well, we heard this in the spring where we set a new date for resuming the, the winter comp- the winter um, competitions, and then we set a date to start the spring competitions, and neither of those happened. And we go over to fall, and we set a date for fall competitions to restart, and that hasn't happened yet. Why are they trying to do this? Why are they not giving us a new date, even if it's they're, in they're, April? Because they're, they're still trying to get volleyball in. They're still trying to get swimming and diving done. That only takes four days total, like, even just thinking about putting that off to April kind of sounds ludicrous when you know that you're going to be able to squeeze that in sometime before April. Football is the only thing that they're going to you know, put off till then, but if they know it's going to be in April, why are you going to set dates for April when you don't even know about dates for January 4th yet? You're not going to try to reset football up if you can't even promise that basketball season is going to start in two weeks. So you got to worry about basketball first. Football is not going to have to be on a back burner if they're not going to be able to finish in the next couple of weeks. 
You're going to schedule football based on when your basketball season ends, and if the start point of your basketball season is going to change, that's going to change your end point too, unless you're going to tell teams that you can't play 20 games. you got to cut down to 16 or 14 or 12 or whatever. You're not going to be able to end when you normally would end towards the latter part of March. I feel like when I talked to kids, they were so excited when they got restart dates. They were all like, oh, yeah, December 8th, we feel good about this one. It's only a three-week shutdown or whatever. And then they all got let down again. You know, we hear a lot about mental health. We hear about the ups and downs of what this all has done for kids. I feel like setting a date and then having them get let down again is just not a good idea, especially if it's just in like a one, two-week thing. I feel like they're just going to take their time to, to do this meeting because the moment that they have this meeting, you know that they're not going to have a meeting and then wait four days to come out with the stuff. The moment they walk out of that meeting, they're going to have a plan. So if that means that the, the order gets lifted on the 20th, the rep council will either be in an office on the 20th or the 21st, and they will have a plan that day forward. I think it's necessary for them to come up with a plan, but I don't think it's necessary for them to release anything until they know for a fact that they're going to be able to do something in the near future. That is true. When the governor was talking about restarting organized sports back in August, the rep council literally met during the press conference to determine that the fo- that football was going to um, return back. I think they were literally talking as the governor was speaking that football would be returning for the fall. Do, should we say that we don't look too much into this or not? But I think either way, athletes need to know that the MHSA is the back. They're doing everything they can to talk to the governor and people at MDHHS on behalf of them and on on behalf of what they need and what they want. And that's obviously for everyone, a high school sports season and winter sports season. We'll just have to see what goes, what happens on that end. Next up, we're going to go into the Mivka all state and all region teams. That's going to be brought to you by Jimmy John's Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse city, freaky, fresh, freaky, fast, Jimmy John's freak. Yeah. Guys, let's break down these Mivka, all region and all state teams. We don't have the uh, the volleyball all region team of our own quite done yet, so we can't put that on the episode like we normally would, like we did last week for cross country, and for soccer the week before that. But wanted to give uh, volleyball a little bit of a shout out, so we're gonna go over the Mivka teams. Um, they did both all region and all state. The all region teams are just loaded with teams from around here. Um, the all state teams we got 14 players that made the all state teams, including three first teamers. 14 is quite a bit. Yeah, and I'm surprised not one of those is from Traverse City West. Not a single one. They didn't even get an honorable mention. That's what surprises me. The fact that they didn't even get an honorable mention is what surprises me. I will put it this way. From what I saw and from what I recall looking over stats, uh, some of the Traverse City West girls, it was pretty spread out. I mean, if there's anybody I think from Traverse City West who probably should have been on there, it was probably Allie Joe McKenna. Yeah, Becky Lane, I think, would have had a shot. Should have, should have been like an honorable mention at least two. So a lot of their offense went through her. But we don't get to make these decisions. We only get to make our uh, dream team decisions. So which which will be out this weekend. Yeah, so that'll be in sure the Sundays. You... That'll be in the Sunday paper. So look for that. Maybe we can correct some of these things with our team. <laughs> we'll try. We will try. But the three first teamers that we did get were uh, Macy Brown in Division Two from Cadillac, and then in Division Four. Uh, Leland's Mia Osorio and Trevor City Christian's Emma Mirabelli both making the first team All-State. The craziest thing about that is that Leland and TC Christian literally faced each other, each other like three times this season. And then they had to go through each other to be in the playoffs. I mean, those were tight game matchups, every single one of them. James, you were at one of them, I, th- I believe, correct? I was at the last one in the playoffs, which was, I think, the least close of, the one, of all the matchups. Yeah, I, I was at one of those this year. And ready? Emma Mirabelli would literally just destroy the ball, and Mia Osori would be there to dig it up all the time. Why do you think they're both all state? She was just plowing them at Mia Osori in those three games, probably had 100 digs in those three games, and she had to be there for her team. James, that happened to your time around too, right? Yeah, they, they had, I think they kind of had her scouted as to where she hit a lot, um, and Leland's defense is what wins them a lot of matches. They play defense as well as anyone and and Mia Sorio, especially in the back there, gets to, to a lot of to a lot of balls that uh, players aside from her and Ali Joe McKenna don't get to. And then third team we got T C Central outside hitter Emma Turnquist, Pataki setter Peyton Miller with an H M pick. And then second team honors in D two, Cadillac junior center Renee Brines. Make sure you guys check out next week's episode of the Get Around, where Renee is going to be stopping by 
to chat about that run and hopefully the return to sports uh, and for second team honors for all state. Next, we got Traverse City St. Francis senior outside hitter Kaylin Poole, who we know has been a dominant force in the area for the last several years. She got third team all state in Division Three. A couple of honorable mention picks in Division Three also included St. Francis senior Hannah Sadorowitz, McBain sophomore middle blocker Lynn Vandervolt, and Charlevoix senior Zoe Broden and Avery Zip. Yeah, and then joining Osorio and Mirabelli in the Division Four was uh, Leland Senior outside hitter Olivia Lowe and Tatum Carrick on the second team, and the middle blocker Sarah Elwell on the third team. I mean, we had a bunch of area athletes make those Mivka all-region teams, 46 in total. Obviously, there's going to be those 14 that we just named off are going to make these all-region teams since they made all-state, but there are some of those names that we thought were missing from the all-state teams that did make the all-region teams. We'll just go through these division by division real quick. We each read one off and let you guys know. I'll just start with Division One. We already talked about Emma Turnquist from Traverse City Central uh, getting one of those all-state slots, but she's also on that all-region team. Our Traverse City West, Allie Joe McKenna, who I mentioned earlier, the junior libero, all-region. Kaylee Parks, the junior hitter from Traverse City Central. Natalie Bordeaux, the freshman libero from Traverse City Central. Uh, Traverse City West junior setter, Sarah Skirmerhorn. And their junior outside hitter, Becky Lane. Also a senior blocker from the Titans, Leah Allen, making that all-region team. Peyton Miller from Petoskey. Faith Bailey, another junior from Petoskey. She made it as a blocker. Caitlin Wodek, the junior blocker from Petoskey. Molly Anderson, the senior libero from Petoskey. Jameson Carr, the senior outside hitter from Petoskey, also made that Division One all-region team for the Northmen, rounding out those people for our Midka Division One all-region team. And you got to expect that it's going to be all Cadillac on Division Two, and that's exactly what happened. Macy Brown, Renee Brines, both the, the Vikings, but also Julie Jezak, a junior at Libero for, from Cadillac. And then from Grayling, at Ellie Wagner, the junior Libero. From Kingsley, Tori McIntosh, the senior hitter. From Kingsley, Lexi Sattler, the junior Libero. From Boyne City, Morgan Deming, a sophomore middle blocker. From Boyne City, Ava Tarsi, the freshman setter. And also from the Ramblers, Grace Dawson, the junior outside hitter. Yeah, quite a bit from Division Two. I was I almost expected a few more players from like Kingsley and Cadillac to be on there, but uh, you know, still pretty decent representation. Division Three is a huge team, so you're going to hear me talking for a little while here. <laughs> uh, we've got Vanderbilt from McBain. I got to see her play one time. She is a tall girl for a sophomore. She's like 6'2", 6'3". And uh, she's going to be pretty dominant for the, in this area for a little while here. Um, you got uh, Kaylin Poole as well and Hannah Sidorowitz. Uh Then we've also got the Glen Lake players of uh, Grace Bradford, junior blocker, and Haley Helling, senior hitter. And uh, Lake City senior setter Emma Barron. Emma Sheerbeek from McBain, a junior hitter. St. Francis libero Lexi Koger. Charlevoix hitter Grace Lentz. Uh, Zip, we mentioned before, and Broden, the setter for Charlevoix. Claire Scolton from Charlevoix as well. And then a couple of Johannesburg-Lewiston players. Delaney Hogel, a junior libero. Tara Mayday, senior blocker. Jaden Marlott, freshman setter. And Jamie Burke, a senior hitter. And then rounding out these teams on Division Four, we obviously had some of those comments with Olivia Lowe, Sarah Elwell, Tatum Carrick, Mia Osorio. You know, we have Emma Mirabelli, all those people who made that All-State team. But we also had Frankfurt setter, senior Sydney Miller. Junior hitter from Onekama, Sophie Wisniewski. The blocker that joined her on the Portagers, Kristen Bonecutter. My favorite game in volleyball. That is my favorite yeah, right. name in volleyball. The Bonecutter. You ran into the Bonesaw. And then we had uh, the senior setter from North Bay, Sophie Stowe, who led North Bay all season long uh, on the stat sheet, rounding out our 46 girls on the all-region teams and our 14 on the All-State team. So like you said, we had great representation this season. All right, well, that will take us into our interview with Winter Vanecki from U.S. Skiing. That is sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Order a tasty sandwich today with the Jimmy John's app.
We are very happy to welcome in U.S. skiing team member Winter Manecki from Gaylord. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Um, now, you just got back from a, a very busy week in Finland. I guess just start off with, with that. It was a good trip. It was a long one, um, especially for us. Normally, we're bouncing around every week to different countries in the wintertime, but we were fortunate enough to be able to have a on-snow training camp in Finland before the World Cup in Finland. So we were there for about a month. And it was a little bit unseasonally warm at first, so we got a little bit of a late start just trying to battle the weather a little bit to get enough snow to have a good site. But once we got jumping, it was a good week or two of training before the World Cup. And then we had our first World Cup of the season, and I started off with a um, sixth-place finish at the World Cup level, which was um, an awesome start for me to be able to get that confidence and in these tricks for the season going forward. So hopefully I can get on that podium in the next couple comps. So we're going to hit you now with the Freaky Fast Five on the ode to our sponsors at Jimmy John's. Yeah, and Winter, you've lived like three different states. Uh, what's the best place to ski in the U.S. that you've traveled to? Is it the West Coast or is it Colorado areas? I really like skiing here in Utah and kind of this whole Rocky Mountain, um, mountain range area. Um, this, and actually here in Park City, we're more like along the Wasatch Range, but we get some awesome snow and it's nice dry weather. So we get that nice fluffy powdery snow. Do you have any good travel stories? I mean, we've traveled all over the place. And I think the best travel story, honestly, for me is when I was going to the Antarctica Marathon. This was several years ago when I was doing a world marathon tour for prostate cancer awareness. And I flew with my mom down to the tip of Argentina and then we took a Russian research vessel in order to get to Antarctica to do the marathon and on the way back from that race returning home and traveling home we got stuck in a hurricane and so there were 75 mile an hour winds and 35 foot waves that we were going across in our boat I felt like I was like in Peter Pan because our boat would crash down in the water it would all come over the front of the boat and then we'd like launch off of the next wave and crash back down. So that had to be one of the crazier traveling experiences I've had so far. I think we're going to return to the Antarctica story because there's not too many people that have actually gotten to uh, be on Antarctica, let alone run on Antarctica. For sure. Yeah, we'll definitely have to come back to that one. A six-year-old child walks up to you and asks you if Santa Claus is real. What do you tell them? Hmm... I, that's a tough question. I probably, I probably tell, I just tell him yes. Like, I, I of course believed in Santa when I was younger, and I'm not gonna be the one to spoil it for them. Especially six. That's really little. When we were just in Finland, we went to the actual Santa Claus village, and so we, it was up in Lapland, Finland. And after the comp, we got to go the day after. And there was like a whole Santa Claus village with like a Mrs. Claus building, Santa Claus, a post office where kids send in letters from around the world to this Santa Claus village in Finland. Did you go and ask Santa for gifts and oh, get to do all well, that stuff? It was a little bit different with COVID <laughs> these days. And so we got a picture of Santa with our um, couple people on our team, but we had to be behind a plexiglass. So it was a little bit different. But we still got to see the reindeer and where they send out all the letters and Mrs. Claus's house. So it was kind of cool. What's the most interesting single thing about that experience that you came out not expecting? Hmm. Honestly, I didn't expect reindeer to be that small. <laughs> they, were, they were smaller than I was expecting. I thought they'd be bigger like an elk, but they were very short. Kind of like the size of like a moose like in the UP. Well, I don't know how big oh, moose, moose are. huge, man. They're huge out here, but these reindeer were like the size of a big dog. <laughs> Not many people. None of them had like the fake horns like tied to their head. No, like in no the Grinch. All real. How much do people think that your first name is not your real first name? It occasionally happens, but most, like if I'm just telling someone their name, they'll be like, oh, that's your first name? Like, sometimes people think it'll be my last name, but then they usually just ask, like, how I got the name. Yeah. They're not like, oh, you're a skier? Did you change your name to that? Yeah. A lot of people assume it's my name, and they're like, well, that was a good coincidence. So how did you get your name? 
Uh, so growing up in northern Michigan, my parents just thought the wintertime was the most beautiful season with all the snow in northern Michigan and sparkling in the mornings with the sun hitting it. And so they always thought it was the most beautiful season. And I was born on December 18th, so it kind of just Okay, well, so you got your birthday coming up in a couple of days. What are your plans for that? Nothing too crazy. I'm going to be just training here for the week, so I think I jumped that day, so I'll be doing some, some flips. And we, we talked about your trip to Finland earlier with the national team, but I guess briefly, and it, when we talked Friday, it was like it's really long and it's a really fascinating story of when you moved away from home at 13 years old, but what has been one of the biggest things that surprised you by uh, competing with Team USA? I mean, I think I didn't know what to expect from any of this, and so it's all just a new experience. I wouldn't say there's anything that exactly surprised me. Because, um, like I said, I, I didn't know what to expect going into it, and I, I think um, for me it's just, like, been uh, the last couple of years, it's been interesting seeing the change in how I felt being on tour with all these other athletes. Like, I know when I first started out, um, on the World Cup tour, my first year, it was very intimidating going to all these different places and never having jumped on new sites before. And you're standing at the top of the in run with all these Olympians and these really good high like um, athletes. And over the years now, I've kind of transitioned to becoming not the rookie anymore and becoming more of the veteran on the team. And now it's interesting for me to look back and see how much more comfortable I am staying on the hill um, at the top of the in run with all the other athletes. Cause now we're all good friends and it's not so scary anymore. So I think that part has been kind of interesting that, you know, you can't really predict, but it's just something that has happened. I'm sure it happens with all the other athletes as they, you know, start out your career as a rookie traveling around and going up to the first time and becoming more of the veteran and, being comfortable up there on the hill, competing with all those other countries from around the world. Yeah, it's, it's crazy you mentioned that you're the veteran on the team at 21 years old. Um, what is the makeup of competing with? Can you, can you, first off, can you tell me a little about your teammate Kayla Kuhn from uh, Point City? And what's the makeup of competing in the World Cup? The World Cup level is basically the highest level for us in our sport besides the Olympics. Some of the athletes are younger and still like in high school, but a lot of the athletes from other countries are actually a little bit older so um right now i'm kind of in the middle of all the athletes so when i first started out on world cup tour i think i was 18 when i 17 or 18 when i went on the world cup tour for the first time and so i was obviously one of the younger athletes um and so i've been going on tour for a couple of years now and now we have younger athletes on our team that are coming up like kayla who um, kind of started around the same age I did, but obviously now they're a couple years younger than I am. And so it's cool being able to see the, the transition from myself, but also see the athletes coming up because we obviously we need more athletes in our sport. And it's a very small sport. And it's especially cool for me to see a lot of younger girls coming out and pucking big tricks. Um, I think one thing that's kind of cool with Kayla and I is we're from the same part in Northern Michigan. And I had been doing the sport for um, a couple of years before she was, and I had kind of met her through a mutual friend of ours and invited her to come try the sport because I saw she was a skier and did some gymnastics. And so she came out and stayed with me for um, a week for like a tryout camp and eventually got into the sport of aerials and started doing it full time like I was. And now she's obviously traveling around with us. And so we have kind of a a narrow age range but also there is a little bit of of gaps in it so we have like Kayla who's younger um so she's 17 I believe and then we have um some girls who are like 19 20 and then I'm 21 and then we have um a couple girls who are a few years older than me and I think the oldest person on our team is only like 26 so <laughs> it's a pretty team um and tight in age even though there are some who are still in high school and some who are finishing college or finished college um but it's yeah it's a pretty narrow age range for our sport although other countries have some older athletes we've had people on the team before who have um been in their 30s competing in aerials and like i said some other countries have some people who are in their 30s but 20s late teens seems to be the the sweet spot so you're still in your prime 
Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I still got a couple more years till I'm in my prime too. I'm just getting up to the fun tricks. How how important is this winter's World Cup with uh, 2022? Uh, just you know, I mean, you say you don't really want to think about it too much, but you know, it, it's like does the weight of that factor into how important this season is? Yes and no. Obviously, we're all thinking about it. I think in some sense, this whole COVID and everything has been a little bit of a good distraction, I think, in one sense, because it has just made us grateful for every home we get to go to and every training camp we get to get, because it is so difficult to get that right now um, with how tough it can be to travel. And so I've just been having, like, this last trip in Finland, I was just having a good time being thankful for actually being there and being able to be on snow and jumping um, and healthy. And so for me, I was just having a ton of fun getting leading up to that competition. Obviously, like you said, like the Olympics are coming up and this year does count towards Olympic qualifications because basically if you do really well this season and finish the season highly ranked, that'll set you up um, to be in a good position to make the Olympic team next year because they don't decide until just weeks, a couple weeks before the Olympics. And so we have these competitions this year and then some competitions in December, January of next year. And then it's go time for the Olympics. And so it's all leading up to it, but we still are a little bit of ways. So there's not too much um, intense pressure and feelings around everything yet. So say you, they inform you that you made the Olympic team. Now you have two weeks. How, how crazy is that two weeks going to be? It would it would be pretty crazy. I mean, in another sense, it is just another competition. You want to like anything else because you don't want to, you know, do anything different. I've been jumping well and having good competitions. I want to keep that same mentality that I've had throughout the other um, competitions. Obviously, it is the Olympics, and that's very difficult to do, and I don't know. You know, once I would get to that point, how I would react, if it'd be any differently or whatnot. But, um, it, yeah, mainly just be, we would go to, like, an Olympic training camp and get our last couple good um, week of training or so in. And then we would fly over to Beijing. What are some of the uh, of your favorite tricks or some things that you've been working on for future competitions? So one trick that I worked on all summer long was called a double full full. And this triple twisting double backflip so it has two full twists in the first flip and one twist in the second flip and this is something um, I spent all summer working and did it for the first time in competition um, in competition training and then I think my third one ever was on my comp jump in Finland and so I had you know been training for months and luckily was able to get it off in Finland so I kind of got the first ones over and didn't have to think about it over my last week off in Michigan but um, that's mainly what I was working on this summer. How much are you able to come back to Michigan, given I imagine you have a pretty hectic schedule? I try to get back to Michigan several times a year. My grandparents still live there, and I have cousins that live there. My brothers actually spend almost the entire summer there since they were young, since we moved away from Michigan when I was about 10. They've been going back there and helping my grandparents on the farm. So my Two younger brothers help out on the farm all summer long, especially during strawberry season um, at Estelle Farms. And so they go back there quite a bit. And in the summertime, we usually get um, like one break a month. And that's usually like five days long or every like we get like five days off every four or five weeks or so. And so during those weeks off, I'll go to Michigan and then I always try to get up there during Christmas time to see the family. And birthday time. you got to get those birthday gifts, right? (laughs) Yeah. Usually on my birthday, we um, have a competition called Selections, but we didn't have that this year because we went to Finland and had our World Cup there. But normally I'm competing on my birthday. And for all my high school and even some college, I'm – as far as I remember, I'm always doing, like, final exams during my birthday week too. So – Usually it's nothing too exciting in uh, my birthday week, but it's shortly after that I get to go to Michigan. Yeah, so then you get to go to Michigan, you get to double up. You get to do Christmas and birthday, right? Get get double the presents? <laughs> yeah, usually people are pretty good about, like, my grandparents give me separate, so I don't have one together, but they, they usually don't lump it together. James, you're from Gaylord. Where is uh, Estelle Farms? In- I am not sure. 
I'm not well, not from Gaylord. I lived. I I worked there for like three years. It's like closer to Elmira. It's on along like the big corner of Elba Highway. Okay. What was your favorite memory of the farm? I think I remember literally running out into the fields, and we would be driving around our four wheelers or mules around the place, or mules, rangers, whatever you want to call them, and we would just. Like I said, have kind of free range of the woods, the fields. We'd run out, pick strawberries fresh from the fields, pull out carrots that are literally like the size of your head or bigger. They're massive. And, yeah, just running around, checking out all the farm equipment, hiding in the barns, all kinds of fun stuff. What are some of your other memories of, uh, of Gaylord itself? A lot of my time in Michigan was literally spent outside in the woods on our property. I mean, I've... Of course, we went into Gaylord um, every once in a while, but I actually went to elementary school at Boyne Falls. And so a lot of my memories are either from, you know, going to school over in Boyne Falls or skiing up at Boyne Mountain, going to races over at Boyne Highlands, or like I said, hanging out on, on my grandparents' farm. We were also, we lived just a, like a mile down the road from them, so our property was connected to theirs so we would snowmobile back and forth in the winter time how different is it in utah i mean how far um are you away from where you're at to the part of utah that is almost a desert we're a couple hours away so we're further north in utah and Mm -hmm. so it's obviously a lot of mountains around here it is very different um from michigan we don't have nearly the green trees or the lakes or anything like that Um, But like I said, we get the mountains instead. And I don't have like my grandparents' farmland and property here, but we got skiing and trails and all kinds of outdoor activities just outside our doorstep. And a lot of like national monuments, national parks, all that kind of stuff. Do you you hit that things up when you have just maybe like a couple of days off in your break? Sometimes. Like I said, in the summertime, most of the time during my breaks, I go to Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so I have fun on the lakes there and stuff. Um, but I have gone to several of the parks in southern Utah and checked out Zion and Canyonlands and um, Arches because there are so many cool places down there. Those are all very good ones. Bryce Canyon is another good one, if, if you've ever been to that one. I think it's almost better than the Grand Canyon because there's, like, nobody hardly ever there. So have you skied on all seven continents then? No, not skied because I've only skied in Europe and in the u.s so like north america so i have i haven't skied in um south america a lot of our like alpine team for the u.s ski team will go down to places like chile and stuff to ski but because they need that for their summertime training but since water ramping is so important for us we don't do on snow training in the summertime and so we don't have to go to places like south america and stuff because you said antarctica at first i'm like well you had to have skied on Antarctica or done something just to say you've skied on Antarctica. <laughs> no, I did not haul my skis down there. That would have been crazy. You would have uh, lost them on that boat with that storm. Yeah. We talked about the Antarctica hurricane story, but what's just your favorite travel story? You're not going to be able to, you're not going to forget whether it be from skiing with the national team or whether it be just traveling around. Well, I think the, a lot of all the places I went to with my marathon tour were obviously pretty memorable. I mean, we went to all seven continents with uh, my mom and I, uh, Antarctica, we went to Mongolia, Kenya, which Kenya was amazing. I'll never forget that. We went literally and were next to the Maasai tribes um, in Kenya. And then we were in like New Zealand, which had the beautiful. Um, ocean right there and ran the marathon there we did Machu Picchu so the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu marathon so all of those are it's hard to forget any of those and then of course now traveling around with the ski team it's different because we're not doing quite as much sightseeing and touring obviously we were there for the competition but we do still get to see some cool stuff like the first year I went to Moscow we got to go to the Bolshoi theater and watch a ballet performance there, which is one of the most like renowned theaters in the world. And when we were in Belarus, we went to a Belarusian circus. When we were, went to, to Italy and Switzerland and got to go in some of the castles there, which just seems like it's fake. Like I literally felt like I was 
and like virtual reality goggles like my brother has like because it was just so crazy so I, I don't think there's one thing it's just a combination of seeing all these places and getting to meet people um, across the world has been pretty pretty amazing all while being a college student yeah <laughs> all while finishing all my high school online and um, now just about to finish my degree how did you get into the marathon running thing and how does that relate to skiing so I did running and triathlons growing up. So I started triathlons when I was about, I did my first one when I was five years old. And my mom and uncle were triathletes. And in Michigan, there wasn't a lot of kids races, but there was one one time at this race. Um, we were, my mom was going to, I think it was up in Canada. And I decided to try it and I loved it. And so over the years, I started doing more. And I would do some of the races in Michigan with my mom and just do all the adult races and loved longer distances and competing against the adults. And so over the years, I kind of gravitated more towards the longer distance, eventually did my first Olympic distance triathlon and then got into half marathons and eventually the marathons. And I started doing the marathons mainly because I saw a Guinness Book of World Record for the youngest person to run a marathon on all seven continents. And this was after my dad had passed away and I was looking for something bigger and better to do because I had done an Olympic distance triathlon um, kind of in his memory and for prostate cancer awareness in Florida. And I wanted to kind of do something even bigger. And so I told my mom I wanted that record for my dad. And several years later, I did my first marathon at 13 and then finished the world marathon tour before turning 15 to become the youngest person in the world to run a marathon on all seven continents. So it was kind of simultaneous with the ski racing. I would do the triathlons and run in the summer and then be skiing at Boyne Mountain in the winter time and then eventually over at Mount Bachelor in Oregon and then out here in Park City. So I didn't think we were talking to a Guinness Book of World Records holder. I guess we'll have to put that in the title of the pod. Well, it's, it's kind of, that's kind of an interesting story too because it's actually not Guinness. Um, it's still the world record in like the official world record book because Guinness is just one of the record books. But Guinness would not put put me in their book because they said it wasn't safe or healthy for a girl to be running marathons. Um, what? What? <laughs> I didn't think that was that like was they have say. the most obese child, like the youngest person to give someone a tattoo. But they didn't think running marathons for a 13 year old girl was was healthy or safe. Even oh, though Guinness, I, come on, did just fine, and all the doctors were behind me and say, "Yeah, go for it, run." Thank you, Winter, world record holder for the youngest person to run a marathon on all seven continents, travel enthusiast, and oh, by the way, a member of the U.S. ski and snowboard team and Olympic hopeful for 2022. That's quite a title, but thank you for spending uh, some time with us this afternoon, and we wish you good luck on. In your upcoming competition, what's? Can you remind me of what the your next one is going to be? Our next one is actually just going to be our U.S. National Championships here in the first week of January. And can people watch it on TV? Because I know people were able to watch the Finland one on TV. Not the nationals, um, but our upcoming World Cup competitions. Our finals are always broadcasted on. This year, it's called Peacock. I think it's like an NBC. Yep. Um, type thing and so they can watch it on there fingers crossed we have the rest of the season we'll, we'll be cheering you on here at the record eagle uh sounds good thanks so much That was a great interview with Winter Vanecki from the U.S. Ski and Snowboard team. She's training in the same facilities as Lindsey Vaughn, Sean White, and God knows how many other names. It's also uh, right time right now to get somebody fed, and this week's weekly winner of two free Jimmy John's sandwiches is Dan Miller of Leland for sharing the podcast on Facebook. We'll get a hold of you, Dan, on uh, social media, and get your uh, address, and uh, mail you those two free coupons. That brings us into the 
Christmas movie bracket, the best movie of all time, according to the get around. We posted the polls on Twitter, let you guys vote, and you get to determine who moves on. So, Jake, start us off with who won the first few matchups. Yeah, I mean, these, this is like, this turned into the, like, the hardest second round matchup ever for me because Elf beat Polar Express 75% to 25%. And then what we thought was the best matchup in the first round between a Christmas vacation, or, or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and a Christmas Story ended up 75% in the favor of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, as we all kind of predicted. We thought that might be the winner here at the end. But, so we're going to have two movies that got three three fourths of the vote going up against yeah, each other. So what that means is in, in the next round, we're gonna have basically my number one and number two favorite Christmas movies up against each other in Christmas Vacation and Elf. So this is a hard one for me. I mean I watched Christmas Vacation last night in my parents' basement. And they're both um, comedy so movies too. Probably have to go with that, but still this is gonna be a tough one, boys. You guys gotta pick on this one. Myself, my personal uh, I would go with Christmas Vacation as well. That is just a classic. Do you think recency helps Elf? No. Probably, probably still. I think I think it'll help it make it closer than we think. Okay. Okay. Okay, next one. This is the one thing I wanted to make sure I brought up. Home Alone. We They got, ran, got randomly put up against the Christmas Chronicles, which is like the newest of all of these movies. Which isn't a bad and, movie. And, well, apparently it's not very good at all. <laughs> because we've done, I think, what, five of these brackets now? And I don't think we've ever seen this. The... Slant was 99% to 1% in Home Alone's favor. I literally <laughs> so that, that means like one person. One per, I mean, I, I'm going to double check and see exactly how many votes were on the poll, but I know it was over 100. Oh, no, it wasn't. This one only had 70. So there was maybe, yeah, there was like one person who voted <laughs> for Christmas Chronicles. That was our biggest landslide ever in one of these polls 99 percent to one percent if you are out there and you're listening to this podcast and you want to come on and give us an explanation about why you think christmas chronicles is better than a movie than home alone our esports at record-eagle.com we'd love to hear it but the other 70 some odd listeners didn't think the same way as you the the matchup going up against that would be who wins between charlie brown's christmas and a nightmare before christmas and this is the only one i was disappointed in Charlie Brown swept them under the water, 74-26. So now it's Home Alone versus Charlie Brown, like two like children's movies. I, I, I got to say that I think Home Alone will come away with that one. I mean, after a 99-1 to one over any movie, I feel like Home Alone's got some momentum. Well, it definitely ain't going to be 99-1 to one in this one, but I think it'll be, uh, I think Home Alone will move on. Then we've got the next little, uh, I guess, region where uh, the Grinch stole Christmas, uh, also stole the wind from Frosty the Snowman, seventy-one to twenty-nine, and the one that just pains me to say is that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer beat Die Hard sixty-three to thirty-seven. Uh, I just have <laughs> you people say. disappoint me. No, all these people finally <laughs> they listen. They're on the side of Jake Atnip, and I appreciate it. Die Hard isn't even a Christmas movie. Well, if Die Hard's not a Christmas movie, then neither is Home Alone. <laughs> There's probably actually as much violence in Home Alone as there is in Die Hard. Not people dying, but there's a lot of violence. If you watch the Mythbusters for Home Alone, uh, they should have been dead like seven minutes into that movie. That is exactly <laughs> what I was going to bring up: is that Mythbusters, like the paint can alone, would just kill that guy. Real quick, who wins that then, the Grinch or Rudolph? I'm going to go Grinch all day. See, here's the thing with Grinch is it's so broad. Like, you don't have to pick which Grinch movie it is. It can be the, some of the really bad ones or some of the really good cartoons. I mean, you're really going to think about, if you're going to see what's the best ever, you're probably going to think about your what you consider the best Grinch. Which Grinch is it? Cause it's, it's obviously the Jim Carrey Grinch. We said this last time. It's obviously the Jim Carrey Grinch. The cartoon Grinches stink. That's the thing, though, is it? The person voting gets to pick whichever Grinch they think is the best. Yeah. So that's I, I think that the Grinch will. Uh, will take didn't that they one. do a 2018 Grinch too? Yeah, that's what I mean. Is none With of those Fa- running Williams. The two, the the 2000 Grinch is the only one that matters. What's our last matchup, fellas? It's a Wonderful Life, one of the best movies ever, let alone Christmas movies. Beats Jingle All the Way, 71 to 29. It's a Wonderful Life is going to be going up against the Santa Claus trilogy. 
after their win over Miracle on 34th Street, which was our closest matchup. 54 to 46%. It's a wonderful life versus the Santa Claus. Who's going to win? This could be tough. It's going to be kind of a generational thing. Yeah, I think it just depends on if we have more athletes and like 20, 25 and unders voting or if we have more 25 and overs voting. Yeah, George I George so. Bailey, I think, moves on to this one. That would be interesting to have the Grinch versus George Bailey. <laughs> That's like the perfect one right there. Yeah. Complete opposites. <laughs> or if you had Rudolph versus Santa Claus. That would be ironic as well. <laughs> that would just be funny because I would, I, I would literally say I pick Rudolph because he has antlers. <laughs> Whoever you do pick, make that happen. Rudolph and Santa Claus or It's a Wonderful Life versus The Grinch. Yeah, we'll be posting those polls on Twitter later this week. We'll let them go for several days so you can uh, you can vote all week. And then we'll update next week and see who is in the final who, four. Who's, on, who's in our final four. Speaking of updates, though, we have to get into this last segment of the show. Where James uh, do and I we wallow. actually have we're, to? Yes, <laughs> where James and I wallow in. Basically, this is what I really liked about it. As of right now, James is sitting in the semifinal and in first place of one of the leagues, which is Record Eagle Fantasy Football League 1, right? Which James has a chance. Well, actually, he's in second place. Sorry. But he's tied for first place with the other James in our, in our Record Eagle 1 league. Uh, but James has a chance to make it into the final against a possibly another 10-3 and three team. But we have the Michigan Wolverines and Gronky Kong facing off in the semifinals. And then gardnering out versus James and his James gang in the semifinal of this league. Obviously, you know, we get down to week 15. We only have one more week left. So we have this week and then next week is the final. Remember, we had two leagues. I think me and James did talk a lot of crap about winning these leagues i don't know personally i love all of our listeners but james you want to beat them don't you oh yeah i'm, I'm so i'm going up against my friend eric i'll have to maybe see if we put a put a little side bet down like a, a beer or something <laughs> on this semifinal matchup mine were atrocious i think i was like four nine in one league and six and seven in the other the one that, that james is in the semifinals in right now i went one and twelve in that league yeah, it was like that, we all had one league where we were good and one league where we were bad of the two. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I had to draft that one team during a whole other draft as well. But regardless, James, I want to know how confident you are that you're going to either make the final and win it. I mean, you did end up 10-3 and at the best record in that league this season. I'm pretty confident that I'm going to make the final. That's why I want to make that bet with Eric. It could be an all-James final against the uh, Michigan Wolverines, and he actually outscored me by a little bit in the regular season, so he technically would be the number one seed. Exactly. I mean, if we go over into the other, fan, the Record Eagle Fantasy Football League 2, where Adams Army took first place overall for the regular season at 9-4, and four, had that no, I love having a nice bye week, but then I'm, gonna, I'm going up against the Spiffilating Vorbs. Who beat which me. I know we've, which I, yeah, I know who we've talked about them before on this podcast. And then, surprisingly enough, in the other semifinal, we have a six and seven Tony Moeller from Elk Rapids, the head coach, squeaking into the semifinal at the sixth seed, going up against Gen Z, who is Jack Stefanski, uh, our cornerback and basketball player from Frankfurt, who joined up in the league. Uh, looks like I have a chance, um, obviously, hopefully, to play either Jack Stefanski or Tony Moeller in the finals. But I'm gonna have to get past the spiffilating Vorbs, which I'm not sure who that is. The thing is that. Uh... NFL.com doesn't require people to put their full name on there, so everybody just has their first name. So, SF is the guy who manages Spiffilating Words. SF Puckett, I think, was his Twitter handle. Well, and you signed up for it. I just want to say, I've looked back, and this team has felt good all year. I mean, I got Delvin Cook, I got Tyler Lockett, I got Tyreek Hill, I got David Montgomery, I got a bunch of top tier players. You've managed to not get hurt. Oh, no, I've still gotten hurt pretty bad. I just I got lucky enough with having Dalvin Cook be the number one running back in fantasy football this year. I'm, I'm going to point out that my team, uh, which finished second to last, just in front of Micah Gallegos, the athletic director at Traverse City Christian and Tony Gallegos' dad, I finished one spot ahead of him to not finish in last. But I was third in the league in scoring and went four and nine. 
Sometimes it sucks to suck, James. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I had a good, <laughs> good team, man, and it just they let me down like the Lions. I went 1-12. They went horrible. I had Drew Brees puncture his lung. Austin Eckler tears ACL. Julio Jones fall out of the earth. I had nine people get COVID. Odell Beckham tears his ACL. That was a great season in that league. But in the REFL uh, 2 here, you're the number one seed. The top scoring team in the league. How confident are you feeling going into the? the I'm going to win this league. I said it when we started. I'm still in. I'm still in the fantasy playoffs for four fantasy football leagues, and I feel confident that I got at least two of them in the bag. Right. I think. I think Jack and uh, Tony and uh, and Mr. Puckett. We're gonna we're gonna try to have something to say about that. But I'm sure. We'll I really. Want, I really want to face off with our listeners in the finals. I really want to. I really want to make it a a big deal right around that Christmas holiday. You know. Hmm. I want to. See, I would. I'd like to see a final between you and Jack, and then uh, I would like. And then you have to go interview him during basketball season, <laughs> and see oh, which I'll, one gets to talk crap. Oh, uh, it's gonna be me. It's gonna be me, Jack. If you're listening, it's gonna be me. Jack had a pretty good season, though, man. He was really active, digging on the waiver wire and turning the bottom of the roster and doing all that kind of stuff that you got to do to be successful, especially in a weird year like this. So, oh. so kudos to Jack for his, uh, our basketball, his management this season. Our basketball player of the year on the court might be one of our Maybe. fantasy players of the year off the court. He's going to have to win that basketball player of the year, though. All right. There's going to be some other people that are going to have some say about that. But he's probably a contender this year. More than likely. So that was the trifecta, which is the update on our fantasy football leagues, brought to you by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's spends six hours slicing and baking every day to make you a 30-second sandwich. Freaky fresh, freaky fast, Jimmy John's, freak yeah. That will be it for episode 153. We will see you next week with uh, Cadillac's Renee Brines joining us. And we'll do a little bit more of this with the fantasy football update and get to our dream team for football as well. We'll unveil that next week. That's so going to be the big that. one, yeah. All right, well, thank you for listening along. We're out. We're out.